Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Trevor Turnbull here again with another solo episode for you, and I'm going to keep this one fairly tight. Uh, the reason why I decided to sit down and actually record this right now is because a few different reasons. But number one, I actually just had a little minor day surgery today. And although I wasn't put down for the surgery, I did get some local anesthetic and and uh, came home and it was feeling okay. And then all of a sudden I was like, I need to lie down and go to sleep. So I did for a couple hours and I woke up and I just felt inspired to record this. So that's one piece. And then the other thing is, is that my wife is fending off the kids right now from coming down and finding dad because I'm recording this one in the evening. So hopefully they splash around in the hot tub for a little while and allow me a little space to uh, to say what I want to say here today. But you'll notice from the title of this episode, I died again. That naturally you can immediately go to a place of, well, what do you mean you died again? Like what what happened? And, you know, of course, I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm still here. I'm recording this right now. But there has been many, many moments in my life where there has been a death that has occurred. And I actually wrote an article about this in Entrepreneur like five years ago or so, uh, speaking about many of the deaths that I've experienced in my lifetime so far. And then I, I haven't spoken about it really, though, since then. So, you know, this is kind of an update to that, but then also just a, a sit down and, a, and an explanation and a discussion around our attachment to our identities or our attachment to wanting to fit into a box. And when I say our, I mean my, so I'll speak from my perspective. And there's two other things I want to reference before I really get into the aspect of these deaths that I'm referring to. And one is that Danielle Grant and I did a masterclass today that we called Less Strategy, More Soul. And one of the topics that came up uh, when we were asking people, you know, like, why are you here? What is what is the thing that drove you to come here with us today? Because we had it all uh, open in a Zoom meeting. So there was video and audio. So people were able to join us. We were able to feel the energy and see people and look at them in the eyes. And one of the answers was a person that actually described themselves as a certain personality type based on a Myers-Briggs test. And there's lots of these out there. There's Colby. There's that one. There's a, there's a handful of others. But I believe he described himself as like, a, uh, what do you say, an analytical driver or something like that, right? There's these labels, whether it's words that we attach to it or it's numbers like with Colby or whatever it might be. And well, I do think that these are very helpful in understanding how a person typically shows up based on a handful of answers to some some questions in a test. I don't think that that is what ultimately we are. And I don't think you do either, but we want to put ourselves into a box. We want to be a part of a tribe. We want to labor ourselves in a certain way so that we can say that we've attained mastery in something. And it feels like an accomplishment when you're a part of that circle, whatever it might be. And we see this in politics. We see this in all different kinds of things. But I'm here to argue that. I'm here to um, speak to the opposite of that, which is you are not 
any particular identity and you have the ability to shift into whoever you choose to be at any given time. And further, you actually have a soul that is already defined and it's not really your choice. <laughs> it's just whether or not you will actually step into the person that you truly are. And I know that that scares the crap out of people because it has for me for 45 years as well. And that's where I'm going to speak a little bit about my journey, especially the last nine months also. And then the other thing I wanted to say before I get into a little bit of that timeline and those deaths that I've experienced and what's gone on in the last nine months is to say, you know, we say this all the time whenever we experience a, a physical death in our life of a loved one uh, or somebody that we knew or whatever it might be. And we say life is short. Live it to its fullest. Make sure that you squeeze and hug your family today. But why do we need death to tell us to do those kind of things? That's always what comes up for me whenever there is a death experience. And most notably, just in the last week, I had an uncle pass away. And that uncle, I was remembering back on him and his life and the memories that I had with him. And although there weren't many, because him and my aunt actually uh, split when they were when the kids were really young, so he was kind of around but at a distance. So I didn't see him a lot growing up, but I do remember a lot of pieces of him. And I spoke about this in a video the other day, where he was such a fun, uh, patient, loving person. He was always somebody to say "I love you" before anybody else in our family was really open to doing so. He was always the the uncle that, you know, if he had some cool new tool like a fishing rod, like back in like the mid, not even the mid 90s, in the 80s, when fishing rods came out that you could like touch from tip to tip, people might remember these. Like that was a big deal. Like that didn't exist before then. And I remember seeing my dad and my uncle like, yeah, let's check out this fishing rod. And I was like, cool, can I try? And they're like, sure. So I grabbed it and I snapped it in half because I didn't grab it by the ends. Of course, I grabbed it somewhere else. And I just remember thinking like, oh shit, he's going to freak out. And he never did. He actually just held space for me to say, you know, it's okay. It's all right. You're safe here. Of course, he's upset, broke his fishing rod. <laughs> but I remember that it actually, that's what came up for me was this feeling of safety. And while it's such a small little thing, that is such a significant thing in a person's timeline. And sometimes it gets buried and we forget about it. But it's amazing how we attach to certain things, uh, activities and, and memories in our, in our past that ultimately define who we are now or who we think we're supposed to be based on society's labels, based on your job title, based on your the card you're carrying for the political party that you support. Whatever the case might be, your culture, your religion, your race, your, your sexual orientation, all of these things, these are all identities that ultimately are not real. Now, physically, we can see them, right? You can tell when a person has black colored skin and brown colored skin and white skin. You can tell, right? And we have choices on what identity we want to ultimately attach to, which tribe we want to be a part of to feel like we are inclusive and, and, and a part of something. But really, they're all make-believe labels that ultimately are 3D ego self wants, but our soul doesn't need to exist. 
And I want to ask the question because when we say, oh, life is short, hug your kids tight tonight. You know, you see all the shootings and stuff that have happened in the U.S. over the last number of years. And people say, hug your kids tonight. But I want to ask, you know, are you truly living now? Are you saying that and asking that question and acting in that way every single day? And when I say that, I say you, I mean me. Am I doing that? Now, here I am sat down in our basement suite in the office recording this for you and for me and for my kids to view at one point in the future, but I'm not up next to them hanging out in the hot tub. So naturally, I can start going into my head saying, am I actually, should I even be doing this right now? And my justification for doing so is because I believe that actually speaking it out loud is healing. Saying this out loud is healing. This is, uh, it's helping me really truly understand who I am, like what makes me up? Who am I? And these reflection points, I think, are critically important. And you'll hear me talk about that in this episode as well. Just this, how critically important it is that if you want to answer that question of who am I? And what am I here to do or be or have in this world? You have to go deep on this. You got to go even into the painful parts, the parts that you don't want to remember. You'd rather leave in the past. But they are clues as to why you see yourself identifying in a certain way. And I've experienced this. And that's what I'm going to talk about. So I'm going to give you a bit of a timeline here about some of these deaths. Because like I say, I wrote about it in an entrepreneur article. But I just wanted to go back to it again and, and just remember all of this. And maybe I would invite you to do the same. Go back in your timeline. So, you know, up until about 1997 for me. So I was born in 1976. So by the time I was uh, 20 or 21-ish, I was... I was a hockey player, man. Like I, I was a Canadian kid that at the age of four had my skates on barely before, barely after I started walking, I would walk over to the arena, the outdoor rink by myself as like a five-year-old. Maybe I wasn't walking by myself, but somebody definitely towed me over there or walked me over there and then towed me back on a sled. And then I remember just crying myself to sleep every single night because my feet were so frozen and I had to put them in warm water just to like get them functional again. And I'd go back every single day, every single day. And I grew up wanting to be a hockey player. That was it. That's all I wanted to do. And I had talents, like I had some skills in it. And I was a big kid actually too. Like, I don't know if people know, cause it's tough to tell when you're sitting on a chair in front of a desk, but I'm six, three and like two twenty, And I was like, almost six feet tall and, you know, 160 pounds soaking wet when I was like 12, 13 years old. Like I was a big kid when I was young. So naturally I was uh, encouraged to, to continue to do the sport and to play constantly and, and, but also to find balance too. Like I did a lot of swimming and baseball and all kinds of stuff growing up. It wasn't just like nowadays where you see kids, that's all they do year round is just play one sport. I think it's insanity. But I remember being done my junior career, and while it wasn't a very momentous one because we did, I never played on any really great teams in junior hockey, I remember sitting in the dressing room as a 20-year-old kid and thinking, my life's over. What am I going to do? Like, I, this was it. I was defined by this for 20 years of my life. And then I naturally kind of said, well, maybe I can go play pro, which I could have, but I actually chose not to but because... At the time, you know, I was like 6'3", 220 when I was playing hockey as like a 20-year-old. And when you're that big 
in the 80s and the 90s and you're going to play pro, you're going to fight. I'm going to fight. And I just knew I didn't want that. I had already lost a bunch of teeth. I had already been knocked out a couple times. I already knocked out a lot of other people too. I probably was in a hundred fights in, well, maybe over five years type thing by the time from 15 to 20 years old. And I just knew I didn't want to go play pro. So I thought, well, I want to keep playing hockey. So I actually stayed down in the States and I played college hockey for two years down there. And then I came back to Canada and played my my last couple of years of college hockey in Saskatchewan at the University of Saskatchewan. And at that point, you know, I was beyond getting drafted in the NHL. Um, but, you know, previous to that, I was I was drafted in the WHL, the Western Hockey League. I was listed by the Seattle Thunderbirds. I was dropped by them as a 15-year-old, I believe it was, picked up by Prince Albert, played my midget AAA, didn't ever, you know, get to play any games in the WHL, and there was lots of, uh, looking back, reasons because of that. I think it was mostly because of girls, to be honest, just no focus. Uh, And there's lots of ways that I could judge myself about that, too. Like, I could have had that life. I knew friends that went on to play in the NHL and had great careers, and I was at the same camps and tournaments and playing on the same teams as them too. But I don't believe I truly realized my full potential for a number of reasons. But, but again, you know, here's me trying to justify like, well, I could have, but like, no, all of this was written. This was exactly the path I was supposed to go. I really, truly believe that now, but in the moment it was hard to, it was hard to swallow. Right. And then as I went into school, I thought, well, I'm still a hockey player that happens to be going to school. And I remember I, ended up in elementary education as my, um, my chosen path for about six months. And then I realized all my buddies were actually taking business courses. So I was like, well, maybe I'll switch to business. I'll make more money that way. And it's funny how it came full circle a number of years later, where I ended up doing a lot of trainings and coaching and mentoring, working with entrepreneurs and coaches and consultants and whatnot. And I became a teacher So I actually went in with this underlying desire to be a teacher and then thought, nah, I can't do that. I don't want to, you know, make the kind of money that teachers make. No offense to the teachers out there, but it was true. You know, I was, I looked at it, I was like, I don't want to make teacher salary. I don't want a job forever. I didn't know for sure that I wanted to be an entrepreneur then, but, you know, by the time that ended in 2003, you know, I did the six year program, uh, which was two years of not really taking it seriously and then going, oh shit, I better get out of here because I'm 26 years old and all these other students are 22 and I don't want to be in school anymore. So that was another death. That was an experience where I got out and I was like, okay, now what? like, go get a job. You got to figure this out, Trevor. And I remember my friends who did go on that strict path from you know, getting out of school and right into university and getting jobs. They were working good jobs. They were making good money. They were buying houses. They were buying hot tubs, uh, all of that stuff. And I was, I was behind. I felt like I was always behind. And looking back on it, I just think like, how crazy is that? I thought I was behind at 26 years old. How insane is that? Like I was just a kid. But again, I had an identity death. I was a student, a student athlete at that. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. Now I was just a guy in a job and in a sales job. And that's what I stumbled into. And, you know, I did my first sales job where I was selling signs for about three years and I excelled in it. I was very fortunate to have some great mentors along the way who, you know, threw me into the deep end. They threw the phone book on my desk and said, best of luck, kid. And I swam. I thrived. I actually did really well. But I knew that 
it wasn't ultimately what I wanted to do. And I, and again, I was fortunate to have a friend, Michael Askey, who threw some other books on my desk, the four hour work week and the e-myth and a bunch of these books that just started to speak about what's possible in this world with travel, with the internet. And he said, why don't we start a company building websites? So we did, we didn't have a clue where to start, but again, we sought out mentorship. We got a part of an incubator program in Saskatoon where we were from uh, we got an office space. My uncle that just passed away actually did like surfaced our office space because that's what he did was like really fancy concrete floorings. So he put our logo in the middle of the floor. Like it was awesome. Like we had the best looking office in the whole place. It wasn't necessary for our business to be successful, but that was the kind of guy that he is. He showed up whenever you called him and you're like, hey, can you do this? He'd be like, absolutely. I'll be there. Let's go. I don't even know if we ever paid him for that. Certainly not what it was worth. But, you know, that death of Trevor, the employee slash job actually came back a few years later because my first stint as an entrepreneur, you know, we had a basically a break even on what we had invested into it, but we didn't make money by any means. And, you know, it took a couple of years of learning for us to finally say, okay, I think we need to tap out of this. And that was around the time that... um you know, I went back to go get another job in the digital marketing space as a sales guy, essentially, with a company called Zoo. And in that time period, too, I got married to my first wife. And there was a death that experienced there that I experienced there as well in 2009, both of me leaving the job again, as well as my marriage ending, which I've spoken about before, and the responsibility that I've taken as a result of that. I, I, I held on to a lot of stories about that for a long time. And one of the stories was that I'm never going to repeat the patterns of my family, like my uncle and my aunts and my mom and my dad and my other uncle and aunts and, 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 and my grandma and grandpa, like everybody's been divorced in my family. And I always said to myself, I will never do that. That will never happen to me. I, I'm going to find my partner and we are going to live our dream life. And then it happened. And as you can imagine, it wasn't by my choice at the beginning of it. Now, as years went on, it became very clear that that was the right thing for both of us to do. And I was very much uh, grateful for actually that relationship splitting, not to say that I hold any resentment towards that person because I don't. Quite frankly, we haven't spoken much in the last, I want to say, seven, eight years. But, you know, I, I still have always had a place in my heart for her because we spent a good eight years together during university and afterwards. And I'm grateful for that time. It's, it's turned me into the person that I am today. But I had to let that part of me and that, that uh, picture of who I thought I was, of this perfect husband and this perfect provider and this family man and all of these things... I had to let that die because that wasn't my reality anymore. My reality was me sleeping on my mom's blow up bed in a spare room in a tiny little apartment in Vancouver, right above a fire hall for almost a year. Talk about a pill to swallow at the age of like 34 or 35. But as you can see in me even explaining this, I've been through many of these transformations where whenever I hear somebody say, well, you know, I am a analytical driver and therefore this is how I operate and this is how I make decisions. And I know that these people are like that, but 
I'm trying to explore outside of that. I just think to myself, oh yeah, me too. Been there many, many times. Maybe not around analytical driver as a label, but as I'm a hockey player, I'm a student, I'm a, a corporate uh, employee sales guy, I'm a entrepreneur. No, wait a second. No, you're not. You're back to an employee again. I'm an amazing husband and, and provider. No, no, you're not a husband no more. <laughs> That's done. And, you know, for the better part of like the next five years, I was trying to get my legs underneath me and find out who I truly am. And that was when I drove, dove into digital marketing and just started to figure things out. A lot of it was just school of hard knocks because I was just stubborn, right? I didn't go and invest in mentors. I didn't necessarily surround myself with people that would hold me high. I did have some people. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, like I remember back in 2009, 2010, um, you know, Nick Unsworth was somebody that came to mind. So he's went on to create life on fire with his wife and Nick and I were doing webinars together back in like 2009. And I even remember Jeremy Lang too. So Jeremy was, uh, somebody who was working in an engineering job and then had an idea for, and actually I used to have one of the cases here. I wish I had it still, I could show you, but it was a, um, biodegradable iPhone case. Uh, concept, right? So back in the day when it was like an iPhone four was the only thing out. So he built these prototypes and he got biodegradable packaging and him and his wife wrote handmade letters and stuff and mailed them out to people as they ordered. And I helped him build his first website. Some of the funding that he got through Agra fund Canada and some other um, small business loans for startups was used to pay me and my wife now, she wasn't my wife at the time, to help him with the brand, with the logo, with creating video contents and explainer videos and websites and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that company's gone on to be, I don't even know what it is now, probably a couple hundred employees. It's well above eight figures in revenue, probably pushing close to nine this year because they've invented a product called the Lomi, which is like the countertop uh, uh, food disposal thing. You put your banana peels in and out. You know, a couple hours later, you got uh, dirt that you can put in your plants in the house, odorless, like mind blowing shit. These were the people I was hanging out with in 2009, 2010. So I'm very grateful for all that stuff, but it would be very easy for me to look back at that and go, oh God, no, 2009 to 2014, I had a hobby and I was sleeping on a blow up bed until I finally got an apartment that my mom and my girlfriend basically had to pay for. And I didn't have enough money for a bed. So my girlfriend bought me a bed. Like that was the truth. And I was this struggling entrepreneur, always trying to prove myself. And that was around the time that I met Lewis House too. And Lewis and I worked together from like 2010 to 2014. I ran a property of his called Sports Networker and we had crossed paths because of LinkedIn. He had an idea to create an online course, as did I. I we both wanted to call it Linked Influence. We didn't know each other at the time. I happened to register the domain, linkedinfluence.com. He had the same idea, went and looked it up, saw I owned it. We kind of knew of each other. He reached out and said, hey, you want to sell it? And I was like, not really. <laughs> I'm going to go create a course. And he's like, well, we're, we've already created a course, but we want to call it this. Why don't we do a deal? So we did. And I worked closely with Lewis and ran one of his properties for better part of four years. And then he enrolled me into a leadership program because he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And he actually gave me a... A testimonial of sorts, a shout out in a video that I had created, which actually I should like up because I'm going to redo it, but it would be good for people to see that. 
But that was what he said. He said, I saw this person that had such a deep desire to live his greatest life and to have financial success and to have an amazing relationship. But there was always something missing. There was something that he was holding back on. And he was talking about me. And it didn't hit me until I went through that experience of like, yeah, I am holding myself back. All of my resentments and my stories and my I'm a fighter and a struggle and I need to struggle in order to get ahead because that's my story. That was holding me back. This idea that my identity was tied to struggle, struggle as a hockey player, struggle as a student, struggle as an employee, struggle as an entrepreneur. I created all of that. And Lewis, fortunately, had got a couple steps ahead of me on that game and surrounded himself with good people that said, yeah, no, that's not how this game works. You can choose to operate in that space, but you don't have to. It's a choice. It's an energetics game. It's a following your true higher self soul calling. And it scares the shit out of people. It scared the shit out of me, too. Because I was like, am I really that person? Can I really step up and lead and be of service and and be, you know, financially abundant and build a company that has value that I can sell and all of these different things that were coming to my mind? Like, is that possible? So I remember back in 2014, a death occurring of I'm no longer a struggling entrepreneur. Now, it wasn't to say that my financial situation changed a whole bunch. Like I was still doing well, but I was wanting to do better. But it was here. There was a mindset shift that says, I'm no longer, I'm not that person anymore. I get to step into the person that I know that I truly am. And I remember I got hired right after that experience by the Bank of Montreal, the Global Asset Management Group. And because they wanted to do a, a cross Canada speaking tour at like 16 or 18 locations or something right across Canada. And they were looking for a speaker to come and talk to these financial advisors. And I ended up getting that gig. And now it was by, you know, a series of perfectly divine events. <laughs> uh, shout out to Shane Gibson on on that as well, because Shane was the one that actually passed the opportunity on to me. I, I can't remember if he just didn't have time to do it. I think that was the case. He's like, yeah, I just can't make this work because um, it was a, quite a commitment. It was like, you know, a month and a half of prep or two months of prep and then two to three weeks on the road. Like I went right across the country, which was also incredible. I'd never been across this country before. I don't even remember if I had been, had I had been, yeah, I'd been to Toronto once, but like for a couple hours, I'd never been to the East of, of Canada. I'd been around the United States and stuff, but I got to go all the way from St. John's, Newfoundland, all the way over to Victoria and every major city in between. But that was a moment where so I get this well-paying speaking gig where I'm standing on stage in front of people that are my dad's age, and they're looking at me as the expert, as somebody to help them. And I went and bought three custom-fitted suits, and I bought some brand-new luggage, which we still have, because when you buy luggage, like the good stuff, man, that stuff lasts a long time. I don't know if anybody's actually spent the money on like good luggage, but I did that back then and we still got it. It's, it's amazing luggage, but that was a shift and that was a death. And, you know, in 2019, so, you know, kind of fast forwarding on all of that, I built an agency after the speaking gig, I built a LinkedIn lead generation agency and then it scaled beyond just LinkedIn, but essentially that was what we did. And in 2019, I sold that business and I sold it to 
uh, somebody that I met at a mastermind, and then I became a part of a bigger group. So I was no longer a sole small business owner, and that became a death as well. That was a, you know, I'm the guy, like I'm, I'm making the money, I'm paying the bills, I'm running the operations, I'm sweeping the floors, all of it and everything in between. And I grew that business to almost a million dollars in annual recurring revenue, didn't quite get there. But I still exited and sold that business and then became part of this bigger group. And again, that was another death. That was me, the hustling entrepreneur, trying to increase my MRR, my monthly recurring revenue, for those of you that don't know. And I had to start working with people at that point. And that was a massive shift. So the better part of uh, two years... I was in an executive role within the company that I sold my business to. So I was a shareholder, I was a partner, but I was also sitting in a seat of head of growth and making my KPIs and putting together my rocks and running through the scaling up process and understanding how it is to actually build a team around you and to scale a business, not just to have an entrepreneurial small business venture that you just sell off one day and then you realize like, oh shoot, I'm not the only one here that has to do everything. But I'm also not the only one that has to be paid either once I sell that business. So that's been a whole transition and a death of an identity of I'm a small business owner. I'm a struggling, hustling entrepreneur that goes to masterminds and figures it out on his own and finds the next hack and the next tactic and the next strategy. But again, we talked about this today in the masterclass that Danielle and I did today. Less strategy, more soul. Strategy is still incredibly valuable. Don't get me wrong. It's it's good to have an idea of the direction that you'd like to go. But at the same time, there is a thing called intuition and trusting your gut and knowing the direction that you're supposed to move in. Even sometimes when it just seems insane, like what? You're going that way? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because I know that this is where I'm supposed to go. I don't know how I'm going to make it work, but I'm gonna. That's the thing that I've been craving for the longest time. And in November or October 2021, rather, I left that position as an executive on the team and responsible for reporting to others and, and you know, putting together profit and loss statements and hitting our numbers and all that kind of stuff. And I knew I wanted to shed that old version of me. And I often described it as I know that I when people ask me, like, what do you do? And I say I would say I'm a creator. I create things from nothing. I love it when I hear people say, I've got this idea. Like it perks me up like, ooh, cool. I know how to make ideas come to fruition. And I long though told myself a story like, no, you don't. What do you mean? You didn't go to school for that. But look at the track record on this. In 2003 in university, I came up with an idea with a group of classmates to do an online food ordering system. We called it Quick Bites, which later then became Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes and... DoorDash and all these things. So now this was way before it's time because cell phone technology didn't exist, but I created that with other people. When I was meeting with Jeremy in 2008, 2009 about the whole Pila idea, I remember him saying that and me going, that sounds awesome. Let's go and create that. What's the story? Let's build a story video. Let's create a website. Let's get your online e-commerce store up. Everybody else thought he was insane. But that is who I am. I am somebody that constantly reinvents myself. And that's why I'm here confidently able to say to you, you can do it too. And if you say, no, that's not who I am, 
then that is the truth. You're right, because you've made up a story that says that you cannot redefine who you are. And now redefining who you are sometimes can be scary when you don't know what direction you're going in, which is why it's important to journal about this, to to really go deep and think, what do I want from life? What am I here to, who am I here to be? What am I, what kind of legacy am I here to leave? And it changes over time. Like you get clarity on these things as different things happen. You know, when my wife and I lost our, our, well, two kids, we lost two kids at preterm birth. And then we had our, our oldest son born six weeks early, which was scary, but he was in the NICU for six weeks. And then our second son was born 16 weeks early and he barely survived. He was like just over a pound. He's a miracle baby. You know, that could have taken me down. That could have caused me to say, you're not cut out for any of this stuff. You're not supposed to be this person that is constantly reinventing himself. You need to go create stability. Your family needs you to create stability now. You are, How could you be so selfish to follow your heart? But I'm here to tell you that when you actually follow your heart, regardless of anybody around you, your, your wife, your husband, your partner, your kids, your family, anybody, you follow your heart truly that those that are supposed to be on the journey will come with you and they will support you. And again, that's another scary thing for people because I personally was scared shitless of that in my first relationship, my first marriage. I, I long thought like, you know, when I was going through the, the first business that I owned, that business, I was so intently committed and driven to that business that it consumed everything in me, which obviously made my relationship suffer, which obviously made my wife not want to be with me anymore because I was checked out. And that was the responsibility I had to take in that relationship. I wanted to play victim. How could she leave? How could she possibly say that this isn't working? Look at all I'm doing to make our family work. But the truth is, is she was right. I was disconnected. I was focused solely on one thing, which was I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I'm going to be a successful entrepreneur. I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to figure it out. That is my identity. And that's why I created the 12 dimensions of life most recently too. And that's been a part of my journey in the last nine months to just wrap my head around my intellectual brain. Cause again, you know, just being is all we need to be. Uh, but at the same time, we want to kind of put things in buckets, right? Like our personal health. Like I mentioned, I had a minor, um, uh, surgery today. It's actually on my stomach. I had like a, uh, a sports hernia at one point and I had to get some stuff done to it, but but anyway, see, so like our physical health, right? So that's a part of who we are. Our our nutrition, what we eat, what we put into our bodies, our relationships, our uh, our families, our uh, our businesses, our influence, our impact, our mindfulness, our intellect. All of these things make up who we are as three D human beings. And ultimately, we're all striving for the same thing, which is happiness. And I hate even using the word, but like healthy balance, like you can't, you can't go all in on your business and say, I'm an analytical driver and that's who I am. So I know that I need to go find these types of people. Cause that's who I can best sell my stuff to. And that's who I best work with and ignore your wife. 
or your husband or your kids or whatever, because that's going to break down and you're going to lose that thing. And that identity that you held on to so much is going to be the thing that will actually tear down everything else that you thought that you cared about. And when I say you, I, I, I'm meaning to actually say me. So just take it in that context because I'm talking to myself in this podcast until I could figure out like, oh, you know what? I can have all of this, but there are certain things that I get to do in the way that I show up every single day in the way that I take time to slow down and realize what's most important for me. Meditate, journal, reflect, have people be able to listen to what you're saying and, re- and reflect back to you. Joining communities, knowing the people that you surround yourself with are the average of how you will show up in this world. Have you audited who you're around lately? Not just your family, but your extended circle, your network on LinkedIn. Like all of the people that showed up on the masterclass that we did today, that was one of the first things that I did when I was th- when we started was I just want to say I'm grateful that you're here. And I want to acknowledge you for being here because you could easily be going and being busy or pretending like you're busy and being distracted and scrolling a news feed or waiting for the phone to ring or, 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 right? Just keep going. Or you can come to that conversation that we had today and realize that less strategy, more soul actually is the direction you should be moving in. And I get it. It contradicts intellectually everything that we've been taught, that I've been taught. Even in the masterminds, the high level, high ticket masterminds, the six figure masterminds. Where the promise is you will get the secret sauce from people that have been there and they will show you the way. Here's the truth. Nobody's going to show you the way on anything. I've done this. I've invested in six-figure masterminds before. And I actually went in saying, just show me the model. Like, I'm good at doing shit. Like, I can reverse engineer. I can execute. I'm very good at tactics. I'll build a team around me. I got the budget. Let's go. Just give me the roadmap. And I remember at the time, my coaches saying to me, my mentor saying to me, yeah, that's not how this works. What do you think you should do? And there was times where I thought, are you serious right now? I'm paying you guys money to tell me what to do. And then they were looking at me and going, no, no, no. You already have the answer. You just have to believe that you can actually be the person that you are saying that you get to be in order to create the life that you want. And you got to show up with committed action. And yes, naturally along the way, as you get moving, there will be little things where you'll be going down a path and they'll go, you know what? Let's just take two steps over here and let's focus on this because they had been in those shoes before. Now, that's not to say that they had all the answers. Nobody's got a crystal ball. They can't tell you what path to go down and what's going to work and what's not in relationships and business and finance and, you know, impact and influence. None of that. Nobody can tell you what to do. You know. You already know, which is why I'm doing this podcast right now, because yes, I'm speaking about this idea of I died again. And part of that is to just get your attention, because I know that we're so bloody distracted in this world that something like that would be like, whoa, what? Well, you died again. What? Whoa, where's this going? 
But now that you're here and if you've watched this far, you know that what I'm actually talking about here is I'm calling you up. I'm calling you up just like I had to call myself up over the last nine months and knowing that it was not without resistance. Because last October, when I decided to exit my executive role with a company that I sold my business to, that I was, that I'm still a shareholder in and a partner in, I had to go into the uncomfortable space of, well, who am I now? How do I make money? Maybe I should just go get a couple clients and fix that part. No, don't do that. Well, maybe I should just go and join this group so that I can feel validated and seen and heard. No, don't do that either. You don't need that at that time. Now, having that kind of community, absolutely. We all need that. It's it's an incredible experience when you can get around your people and they can hold you high and you can do the same for them. That's how we elevate together. But at the time, I did not need that. And Danielle knew that and she held space for me. And we were talking about this today. She actually asked me the question. She's like, what do you think were the biggest shifts that you had over the last nine months? And it didn't take me long to actually think about this, but I said, Danielle, it was those times where you showed up unapologetically with me and called me up and I didn't like it. Like at the time, I remember thinking every one of those instances, there was three of them I can remember for sure. There might have even been four. But I remember coming to the call and thinking, all right, we're going to talk about some stuff. And I was making good progress in like following my heart and trusting my intuition and all of that. And then I would start to go down this path of old Trevor and wanting to strategize things and build a funnel and create the offer before we have people, all the stuff that quite frankly doesn't matter. And she would just straight up say, this isn't working for me. And I kind of take the, what, what do you mean? It's not working for you. Like we're, everything's going in the right direction and we're moving and we're, we're making progress and we're elevating and all that. She's like, she would just call me up. She would say, you are operating with an old program still. And I'd have to sit with it. And I, re- I remember every single time she did it too. The very first time she did it, I was like, ah, this is bullshit. Like I'm done. I'm done. Who is this person to tell me what to do and how to operate? And the fact that I'm not doing the work and all of that kind of stuff. Like I was resistant at first. And then as time went on, when I started to experience like, no, no, no. When you actually surrender and, and listen to what she's saying, she's not calling you out. She's calling you up because Danielle heard me express out loud who I'm committed to being, which is a grateful, curious, brave man, which is a vulnerable, honest, romantic man, which is a amplifier of impact of the change makers of the world, the conscious creators that are here to make a difference, to make this world a more beautiful place for me to live in and to leave for my kids. That is me. And whenever I'd say that out loud, and then I would operate in a way that did not serve that highest version of myself, Danielle would call me up and I would meet it with resistance. And every single time it got a little shorter as to when I would go, you're right, Danielle. I need to shift the way that I'm showing up. And the most recent one I'll tell you is this. So Danielle created these amazing journals for us, Mike Prince and I, for the extremely conscious retreat that we hosted. And you can see it right here, right? I've shown these before. 
So it has the 12 dimensions of life in it as I define them. So she didn't change anything. She said, no, this is your vision, Trevor. I'm, this is it. This is the, the, uh, the deep journal book. But she created prompt questions to be able to actually go deep on each one of these things and analyze and, and measure. Like, where are you right now? Where do you need to improve? What, like, be honest with yourself. And I remember she did that. And I thought, this is incredible. Like amazing. And then I played a recording that she gave us to give to, to play with all the guys on the first day when we, we started the retreat. And, and then a couple of weeks went by cause this is only a few weeks ago, right? It was, what was the retreat? Like three and a half weeks ago now. So a couple of weeks ago, Danielle came to one of our regularly scheduled calls because she's been guiding and mentoring me for the last nine months, truth be told. And she said, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, oh God, here we go again. What, what now? You know, that was what my ego wanted to say is like, what now? Like, can't you see what I'm doing here? What I'm creating? Like I've, I've got momentum here. There's a lot of amazing things. We created this amazing retreat. These incredible men showed up. We had this awesome experience. Um, we created the source collective. We got this whole higher self video. We're doing all of this stuff. And she's like, you're still not doing the work. And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, are you creating space and time to actually meditate and sit in the silence and trust your intuition? And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been pretty consistent with that. And she's like, are you journaling? Are you reflecting on the questions that I'm providing you, the prompts that I'm giving you? And you're actually, are you writing it down pen to paper so that it lands so that it can, so that you can sit with it so that you can trust and guide yourself because your higher self is trying to communicate with you. But every time you don't do it because you say, um, just too busy today or oh you know what i'm gonna sleep in a couple extra hours i'm robbing myself of that actual higher vision that i've declared out loud to her which again is scary because the first time you say something out loud like this is who i'm meant to be and somebody that hears it is actually brave enough to call you up every time you don't operate in that way there's a hesitancy i hesitated like even saying out loud who i knew i was truly here to be because then i knew that I couldn't be anything less than that because Danielle would not, she wouldn't let me, <laughs> quite frankly. And the people that I've chosen to surround myself with would also hold me high because when you say it out loud and you declare, this is who I am and I'm also open to the universe allowing whatever I am supposed to be to come to me as well. I'm not attached to an identity. I'm not attached to a, a desired outcome. I'm not attached to any of this stuff. I just know that I'm here to create an impact, that I'm here to be remembered, that I'm here to have my kids go, what an amazing dad. I'm so grateful to have a dad like that, to have the people that worked with me or the people that I supported along the way, the connections that I made go, man, that guy, like he just always looked out for other people and wanted to make sure that everybody was, was taken care of and, and moving forward and that connections were made. I've received stories like this. A friend of mine, just called me up the other day and he's like, Hey, I just wanted to be the one to tell you directly on a call that I made an introduction to him and another friend of mine from university who is in a band who's, you know, they've had a very successful band for the last 10 years and they've been looking for a guitar player. And I connected these two people like 10 years ago and there was no opportunity to, you know, collaborate musically. But 10 years later, they're now touring across Canada and they don't have a lead guitarist so this friend of mine went in and auditioned for it. And of course he got it. They, they were connected and they were friends 10 years ago. 
And they were connected because of music, but they were also just connected because of the humans that they are. Because I know both of these people. They are incredible human beings. And now they're creating beautiful music together. And they're inspiring people and they're motivating people and they're getting people on their feet. And they're getting people to high five and hug and scream and drink drinks and light lighters, if people do that anymore. Well, shine their cell phones, whatever it is now. But that is who I am. I connect change makers. I connect people that make the world a happier place. That's who I am. And every time I operate out of integrity or out of alignment from that, I get called up by Danielle and the people that I've chosen to surround myself with. And I just hesitate right now because I was thinking, what else can I say about this that would really make it land? And I think the last piece that I'll say is this, is, you know, the people that I've met along the way, including Mike Prince, my neighbor, I wrote about this the other day too. It would have been very easy for Mike and I to just be friendly, not friends, but friendly. I heard Garrett Gunderson talk about this at one point that we get to, you know, when you actually get committed to your vision. And you know that this is the path that I'm going down and you don't get distracted by all these shiny objects. You choose your friends and you choose those that you're going to be friendly with. And Mike became a friend. Mike became somebody that we leaned in. We had the difficult, uncomfortable conversations. We did hard shit together. We're still doing it together. And we, we call each other up. And we call in other men that want to be a part of that as well, that also want to elevate like us. That wouldn't have happened if I didn't have the bravery to step into this and to say out loud that this is who I am here to be. And then to have somebody, a guide, a spiritual guide like Danielle to hold me high and to give me some directions like, okay, look, I, you only know the, na- the answer. It's just like me. I only know my own truth. But when you find guides that can say, well, let's go down this path. Why don't we explore this? Let me ask you these questions and you reflect them back to me. Here's some accountability. Oh, you didn't show up this week. Hey, guess what? You do that again, you're out of this program. Because that's what we need. We need people to actually stand tall with us. Not just give us another reason to invest in some personal development, self-help, read a book, download an audio thing, and then go, why is my life not better? We get to surround ourselves with people like this and we get to recognize when they show up. And the reason, the underlying root reason why I wanted to record this podcast was that I wanted to call in the people that are ready to step up and be that for themselves as well. And I'm saying to you that if you choose to do that, if you are brave enough to step in for yourself, that I will be a part of your tribe. The people that I've chosen to surround myself with are a part of your tribe. And it's going to be messy. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be without resistance. You will absolutely resist this work. But it's the most fulfilling, blissful state action that you could possibly take in your life. And I can tell you that from personal experience. And I'm still in the middle of it, which is why I'm also participating in Danielle's Reclaim Your Higher Self experience that's, as of the time of this recording, is starting on Monday. If you happen to be watching this in the future, just go look for it. You'll, you'll find it. It'll be linked up on Danielle's thespiritualroom.co website. 
uh, as of right now, it, it launches with specific timelines. So maybe you've missed out. Maybe there's a wait list. I don't know. It's just like our extremely conscious retreat, our men's retreat. It might become a men's and women's retreat. It might become a everybody retreat. We might do one every month. Like, I don't know. Right now, we're, we just have a wait list. But hey, if you know that you want to seek out being around people like this and doing the kind of work that actually moves you in that direction, that direction of your true higher self calling, then you know what to do. I'm just here as a vessel to call you in. And hopefully my willingness to be vulnerable and honest about my own path and journey and and just describing the messiness of it along the way and even saying, I'm still in it. I'm still in it. I hope that that gives you the bravery to go, all right, I'm in. And we go do this together. Because that's, when I talked to Danielle about this in October, where I was trying to describe like, what is it that I want? The answer was, I want to do this. I want to talk freely about what's truly on my heart, which I'm already doing. Nobody had to give me permission. I just did it. Here I am recording. But I also wanted to be surrounded by people that also had that same desire because I know that every time I have conversations like that, I elevate. And when I'm surrounded by a group, a tribe of those people, I can't help but elevate. They elevate me when I'm at my lowest. I do the same for them. There's no greater feeling in this world. There's really not. And as we head to Costa Rica here in the next six weeks, because we're flying out at the end of August now, this work to me is the foundation of that dream paradise life that exists in Costa Rica too, because it's not about Costa Rica. It's not, it's not about the weather. It's not about the surfing. It's not about the education. It's not about the people. It's not about the culture. It's about me stepping up and showing up for myself. Because I can be who I know I'm destined to be here in Costa Rica or Alaska. It doesn't matter. I get to choose. And that being said, I do choose Surf over ski, as the legendary Kushlash said in Jerry Maguire. What a legendary show. That's another piece of my journey, actually, too. I remember watching Jerry Maguire. It's got to be like 96 or 97 when that movie came out. And it was just such an incredible movie, for one, because Tom Cruise is such a big star, and Cuba was amazing, and just the whole storyline and the, just the coolness of working in the sports industry. Like it, it actually played a big role in the direction that I went in working in the sports industry and being in the sports recruiting space. But more than anything, it was Jerry Maguire and the storyline of how he actually navigated being on top of the world and then having nothing but a goldfish and one person that believed in him and creating what he did and laying it all on the line, putting all the cards in knowing that his star player could get hurt and then there'd be nothing for anybody. And now that story might not have, you know, in a hundred cases in, in life, that story might not have played out the way that it did in the movies, but it's Hollywood. But I just remember thinking that's another piece of the life that I want to live. And the beautiful part about it was that it wasn't this glamorous, you know, 
perfect story, you know, yachts and limos and Lambos. It was one that was grounded in an understanding that when you show up for yourself and you go all in on yourself without any expectations other than you know it's the right thing to do, that it's pretty incredible what you can create, especially when you detach from the expected result because that's your ego, just getting in the way of the gift that actually showed up for you in all instances in life. I said at the start of this one, I was going to make this a short recording. And of course it was not a short recording again, but it was exactly what it needed to be. I wanted to get this out. I wanted you to hear this and I wanted to call you in. And I know that you, somebody watching this is going to say, let's go do this. And if that's you, look for the links around this video or just reach out to me directly. I'll point you in the right direction of what this next step in the journey looks like for you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel as well as on your favorite podcast platform. So until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. Thank <laughs> you.